Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, and I'm coming from Roswell, Georgia. I want to welcome you to our podcast. The goal of our podcast is to share topics and guests that will empower you to grow as a confident leader and take your business and your life to the next level. Today, my guest is Omar Harris. Let me tell you a little bit about Omar. He is a former pharmaceutical general manager. Uh, GSK, I guess, and Allergan are the two companies. Intent Consulting, and this next one I definitely have to ask you about, uh, Timpo.io founder. So we're going to talk about that in a bit. Motivational speaker, best-selling author with over 20 years experience building high-performance organizations on four continents, having managed multi-billion dollar, or billion with a B, dollar brands and led extensive organizations while working in the Middle East, Asia, Latin America, and the U.S. He innovated blueprints for Jedi leadership, and we'll talk about that in a bit, leading with justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and a servant leadership and 20-team performance acceleration principles that can be applied by all leaders at all levels of professional experience. It's going to be a very interesting interview, I can tell. So please welcome Omar Harris. Thank you, Vicki. Very happy to be here with you this evening. Yes, yes. So I always start out with a simple question to just kind of break the ice. Tell our audience, what part of the country do you call home? So I live in Gastonia, North Carolina, which is about 25 minutes outside of Charlotte. I've mm-hmm. uh, been, been here for uh, a year now, actually, um, bought, bought a house and have been living here for a year. Yeah, it's, it moves, time goes fast. Where'd you come from before that? Where were you? I was, Where- I was, living, I was living in Charlotte for a year before that. Um, and then prior to that, I was living in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil for two years. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we could take a whole thing about living in Brazil <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. So you're kind of sort of a neighbor, North Carolina. Not, not too far away. Carolina. Yeah, not too far. So let's just get right into, um, it's not one of my questions here, but the tympo.io, what is that? Just tell me, tell me, educate <laughs> me. So Tempo is an application that I, I built um, as I was writing my, my most recent book, Be a Jedi Leader, Not a Boss, Leadership in the Era of Corporate Social Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. I was trying to find discrete tools that basically were the kind of the best tool for, yeah. you know, for social justice and companies, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And 
I, in my research, I found that there, there were good things that were happening in the diversity space and the equity space and in the justice space, but there was really not a, a really functioning tool for inclusion. Like, how do you prove inclusion? Yeah. How do you prove psychological safety? Well, you know, um, you know you have an inclusive environment when people will feel free to speak up, they feel psychologically safe, and you have this kind of, you know, two-way exchange where employees are not afraid to kind of, you know, just just speak up, basically. Yeah. So, but there's no technology that's existed that really uh, allows you to quantify that that speak upness of your organization. And so, mm-hmm. Tempo was designed as a tool that specifically during organizational like all hands meetings or town halls is could be utilized to quantify um, which demographics within your organization are most comfortable speaking up during these large corporate forums and then quantify that and actually um, for the first time uh, allow management to lean in and listen to dis- disparate voices in their organization and respond specifically to different constituencies mm-hmm. in the organization um, and that was what was the, the design of the application was about. So cool. I mean, great. I know we had in uh, the company that I work for, we had every year kind of a survey that went out and it was to try to to get there. But I, I it always just didn't didn't just get there. You know, yeah, this is real time. Always, this this yeah. is real time. You know, so you need to, people need to see it happen mm-hmm. in real time. Yeah. So, you know, a survey, it's really easy to just punt and like, oh, give platitudes or whatever it is. But in real time, when the CEO or CFO is on stage talking to the entire organization, that's the biggest moment of inclusion. Yeah. And that's the biggest opportunity. And we don't really utilize it very well. You know, we take maybe five questions from an audience of 100 people. That's not inclusion. Yeah. You know, so how do we get this, you know, this flow going uh, between, you know, between the employees who are driving the business and the executives who are making you know, key decisions and making sure they have the information they need from the various constituencies to make sure they're making the right decisions for the business. Yeah, and understanding that they're safe to give that opinion and that. Exactly, exactly. So that was kind of the idea um, behind designing the application. Yeah. So we talked about you being a Jedi leader, and I thought this was so clever. Talk to me about what is a Jedi leader? So a Jedi leader is someone who leans to the principles of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and how they show up for their people and how they show up for their organization. And so this is somebody who is in touch with uh, all of their the people around them in their, in their organization, someone who is trying to elevate the standard of leadership in the organization uh, to aspire to um, basically modern leadership principles that will allow more benefits for more stakeholders. You know, right now, mm-hmm. you know, we're moving away from purely the profit motive for business to a more broad base of stakeholders. And yeah. in order to add more value for more stakeholders, we have to elevate the standards of leadership. And if there are injustices happening in your corporation, such as, you know, sexual harassers who don't go unpunished, or you have, you know, continual equity pay gaps in your organization, or you're, everyone looks the same and acts the same, or people truly aren't accepted for their, their uniqueness in the organization, then you're not going to be able to externalize the whatever purpose or mantra or vision of your organization. Um, And so until you deal with those things, until you eliminate injustices, eradicate inequities, expand diversity and enhance inclusion, you're not really going to be able to to derive those outcomes you want for uh, a broader stakeholder group. So true. So true. 
Uh, and I think it, it's where a lot of leaders struggle. Yes. Is, yes. Um, you know, and and we know that's a, a behavior change for a lot and behavior yeah. changes take years. So it's good that you have started this, <laughs> this effort now. Um, how can companies implement the DEI or the JEDI? Well, I was just... I was literally just writing an article that I'm posting on my website um, that people can read after the after this podcast comes up. Okay, it's good. called it's called the the four arguments for Jedi action. Mm-hmm. And really, what I found in mining the research is that you know there's still company a lot of executives are sitting on the fence and not really fully have full skin in the game around around this issue. Despite you know great white paper from McKinsey and Deloitte and all the respected mm-hmm. Accenture and all the respected you know thought tanks around the world and they're still sitting on the fence. And so for me, it's like, how do we push people on the other side of this? Well, there's one of four arguments or a combination of the, these four arguments that needs to be made that will compel um, executives to, to act. And so the four arguments are the moral argument, mm-hmm. the peer pressure argument, the innovation argument, and the risk mitigation argument. Yeah. So, you know, moral is obvious, basically changing because it's the right thing to do. Peer pressure is changing because everyone else is doing it. <laughs> Innovation is changing because it allows us to be more competitive. Yeah. And risk management is changing because it costs too much not to change. Yeah. But when you combine those four things together, you have a very powerful reason and motivation for executives to embrace this cause the way that, you know, compliance, uh, ethics, and governance and ESG have, was embraced, you know, 15 years ago. And that's what it's going to take to make DEI change happen. It's the same sort of mindset that went into driving organizational compliance and ethics policies. That's the exact same kind of work that needs to be done for, for Jedi work. And this, that's why HR alone cannot do this. Yeah. There's a whole broad set of capabilities that HR does not possess. And one of the reasons why this work is not being done because, you know, they're fighting the battle with not even one hand. They're fighting with one pinky behind their back. Not, there's a whole lot of other um, capabilities within an organization that are necessary for this type of work and change to be done. And so, you know, where I come in is helping organizations see the bigger picture and really get down to the real work. This is a three-year initiative at a minimum. Yeah, you know? I see. And so, so if you're looking for, you know, something that's going to be in your next year annual report and get a bump in your share price, this is not the thing for you. But if you're really trying to be competitive 10 years from now, if you're really forward thinking, which executives should be, mm-hmm. then, then, then this is why we do the work uh, right now. Yeah, that's what I was thinking that really, it is that top leadership that all has to embrace this because it's it's something that they have to set the example and they right. and, and that takes away some of that apprehension of those underneath of exactly. changing exactly and and it requires you know what i call the uh the atlas uh, uh approach which is you know people are, are looking for executive to act think look and sound different and so if you don't have the Atlas approach, if you're not acting, thinking, looking, and sounding different as it relates to these very crucial issues, especially for Gen Z, for millennials, and for Gen Alpha coming up behind them, you know, people don't buy it. And they're mm-hmm. gonna go someplace where, where they feel that that is authentic. The Atlas is actually authentic. Yeah, so many of them just are wanting to fit in and be the same. Yeah, and yeah. and that whole being different, stepping outside of that comfort zone or standing out is is not um, what they're comfortable with. And so they s- just shug it off or whatever. Unfortunately, unfortunately. 
So I think you touched a little bit on this. Um, <clears throat> how can managers in this, uh, what we're seeing right now, this great surge of rehiring, where the pandemic took uh, our structures out and, and now a lot of companies are having to really rebuild. H how is this making it harder to fill jobs that were already hard to fill? It was already, I mean, management, especially line management was always already the hardest job in any company. And now you add on virtual hybrid work, you add on, you know, uh, you know, Zoom calls all day, you add on, you know, uh, executives who are really concerned about productivity and, you know, can't micromanage you because they're not in the same office space. Mm -hmm. So it, it creates an environment of that's rife for toxicity, actually, which is why you hear about so much burnout happening. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the great resignation is the people just burn out. They're like, listen, I'm just taking a break. You know, I just need, I need to reassess my life and take a break and figure out, you know, what I'm going to do from here, what's going to really fulfill me. Um, because whatever, whatever was happening in the corporate ranks is not, is not happening. So I think that fundamentally we have to support managers because managers, the front, friendly frontline managers are the ones who are dealing with the brunt of this, you know, this issue. I mean, senior level managers, it's inconvenient to them to not have, be able to call a meeting and have everyone go into a conference room. But it's really hard for a, a line manager to make sure they're keeping employee morale, engagement, and productivity going when all they have is a screen to kind of interact with you. And so this is kind of the, the challenge of the day. But I look at it as an opportunity. Yeah. You know, I think that, first of all, in terms of a great rehiring, if you truly do embrace virtual and hybrid work, then that means you're, 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 um, your funnel for a, a talent retention go can be very, very wide. You can find people anywhere now because yeah. people can work from anywhere. So now you're not looking in your city or looking in your state or looking at five universities. You can, you can cast a very wide net to get the talent you need. So that's an opportunity to find more talent, more diverse talent um, to come into the organization. So look at it as a, as a net positive. And then we, have to, we just have to make sure that managers are supported with onboarding so that they can really effectively onboard people into the organization, um, even virtually. So virtual onboarding is, I think, is going to be one of the big next waves of, you know, consulting and HR mm -hmm. because, you know, uh, we used to bring people into offices and put them down for two weeks and, you know, a, a CEO come in and people come in and make the speeches and whatever or not. We're going to do this differently now. Yeah. And so, and how do you make people feel a sense of belonging in a virtual organization? So it's even yeah. getting, it gets even harder, you know? So then how do you have people reach out, you know, um, share information so people can reach out to you and call you and text you, make you feel a part of something. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot more outreach. Um, it's not like you're gonna bump into someone in the hallway and be like, and you see your CEO in the elevator and they know your name all of a sudden, like, oh my God, my CEO knows my name. That moment, Bye -bye. you know, doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. So yeah. how do we, how do we, how do we uh, uh, reformulate those kind of, serendipitous moments that happened in corporate hallways, you know, and that's what we should be looking to engineer now. I think so. that even before the pandemic, I know um, when I retired from being a project manager from a large company, the last probably 15 years, all of the kind of monthly training, education, support that I got as a young supervisor manager went away as cost cutting efforts. And, right. you know, now where everybody's just doing 15 jobs, the, again, the, the training and education is not there. I find so much more in my 
entrepreneurial <laughs> world. Sorry. No worries. I something stuck in my throat. Um, you can get some water if you need. That's okay. That's okay. Bye. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, we're constantly doing personal and professional development. And so yeah. I think that's a support that these new managers also are going to need to be able to understand how to con to uh, navigate all this. Yeah, but they need they need time and they need to be you know, not chasing, you know, um, meaningless metrics and a performance, you know, really, yeah. really you know, companies need to hone in on what really matters and strip away all the noise, especially when in a virtual environment, you, you have mm -hmm. to strip away all that extraneous stuff and get to the real work that really matters. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, people are just chasing them set their circles, you know, all around every day. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the top mistakes? Uh, I think you say five mistakes companies make yeah. when they're hiring people now. Well, there's five, I call the five inequities of, of, uh, of, of five employee, five sins of employee inequity. And so you have number one, privileged hiring. Number two, you have sink or swim onboarding. Number three, you have talent whitewashing. Number four, you have corrupted compensation. And number five, you have targeted termination. So going through each one of these in turn, you know, uh, privileged hiring goes back to what we were talking about a few seconds mm -hmm. ago, which is, you know, if you look at a job description, I was having a conversation with uh, one of my executive coaches this morning about the about why there was a, uh, an arbitrary criteria for a particular degree for a job that actually that degree has nothing to do with the, with the work you're doing day to day. And so it's a false limiter. And so you have these false limiters like years of experience or, or you know, advanced degrees or coming from certain institutions mm -hmm. that basically limit your ability to, to get, get diversity in the door. So the first thing that has to be broken in your, in your reorganization or rethinking of, 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 of Jedi leadership is to rethink how you recruit and hire and where yeah. you're doing that from and why, ask the questions, why are we actually requiring these things in our job descriptions? Usually the reason is, is because you have the second inequity of sink or swim onboarding. So basically we don't have time to onboard employees. And so we expect them to come in and within 90 days be great, right? Yeah. But you know, if you, if you cast a wider net, you need to be able to train better so that people are more are more likely to be successful mm -hmm. when they come into the organization. So you go from sink or swim onboarding to going all in on onboarding and really investing a lot of money and resources on employee onboarding. I think that's a key element to, to uh, the success of businesses moving forward. Yeah. The third element is talent whitewashing, which is you come in, let's say we did a good job of hiring diverse talent and we brought in all this, you know, and we have these Gen Z's and all this energy and all these ideas. and they come in the door, we hit them in the same face and say, listen, we want you to do the same thing, the same way it's been done for the last 10 years, yeah. for, the, for the next five years, and then we'll think about promoting you. Yeah. And remember that education has changed. So these, these kids were trained in an environment where they could speak up, where they had a safe space, they could talk to their teachers and they could interact, yeah. and they're not falling for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's uh, so basically, you're offending me right, right, out, right, in, right out the <laughs> gate. Basically, you're not going to let me do what I do. You don't even not even interested in knowing what I, you know in, in, in my ideas or my mm -hmm. concepts. So yeah. I'll go someplace where I can actually you know feel free and do my thing. Um, <clears throat> so I say leaning into strengths versus weaknesses and leaning into diversity versus conformity is the key to to answering that 
that question. You know, when you see people, when you look at, you know, use positive psychology and you leverage strengths to try to understand what someone is actually really brilliant at, mm -hmm. that's when we get away from conformity and we get to re the real benefits of diversity. Right, right. You know? And, and if you shut down somebody's innovation and creativity and then later expect them to be uh, innovative and creative, it, it's so frustrating, then they leave. Exactly, and, and exactly. And then, and then you have the fourth sin, which is you have, you know, corrupted compensation. So no one in the organization knows how they get paid or why they get paid or the <laughs> fact that, or why there's such a big gap between what they get paid to do and what the CEO gets paid. And so you have mm -hmm. all these elements of compensation. People should be able to understand why they get paid the way they get paid. And that pay should be, what happens is HR uses external market medians yes. to determine pay scales for internal employees. And so they look outside they don't look inside. So within the same, if you look inside of a company within the same job, let's say manager, you're going to see such a diversity or such a wide gap in terms of who gets paid what. Uh, and it's not just based on tenure or, you know, or experience. Uh, sometimes it's just based off of popularity or who, you know, who knew who or who came and when. <clears throat> and so that has to be fixed first because, you know, I remember being uh, one of the youngest senior director of marketing in my company's history. And, you know, uh, basically I was 31 years old in this position and, and I was leading $4.5 billion of business for the business. And somebody who was managing a brand of 200 million who was 10 years older than me was making $300,000 a year and I was making $160,000 a year. Yeah, not even. It's not fair. I mean, no, listen, not, either not give me the job and pay me what the job requires That's or don't right. give me the job, but don't give me the job and then don't pay me <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. because then, then my motivation goes down and then I don't feel, I don't feel I'm doing a harder job uh, than anyone else. And I'm not being compensated for what I'm bringing to the table. So therefore, why should I bring my all? So all these things are reasons not to do your best. Right. And then finally mm -hmm. you have targeted termination, which is everybody knows that if the ship goes South, that the captain is not going down with the ship We're you're all going down. I have a safety ramp. I have a, I have mm -hmm. a off ramp. You know, I have a, a, a special, you know, lifeboat that's going to get me off of here, uh, a jet ski. And so I don't understand why the people who make the strategic decisions that turn that, that, that downturn companies are never the ones who suffer when it comes to termination. It's always the frontline employees mm -hmm. that had nothing to do with that decision. You were just implementing yeah. somebody else's vision they had in a bathroom one morning to, well, let's do this today, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think that, that that fundamentally has to change. Uh, I think we have to look at uh, terminating employees as a last resort, and we need to look at executives and, and do what um, they do in sports, which is you never see the players in sports get uh, sent off a, a team. LeBron James doesn't have to worry about being traded, you know? But his coach just got fired, exactly, because the coach couldn't get the team to where they yeah, wanted to get to. Right. And so I believe that that mindset needs to pervade in, in business as well. If the business is not, you know, going the way it needs to go, then, then investors should demand more higher turnover at higher levels in the business and less turnover at lower levels of the business, because that's where you need consistency, that customer interaction, that touch, that's where you need it. That's where you need that to be maintained. Not, not within the 20 people who make, you know, 20% of your, who make up 20% of the, of the, of the salaries of the corporation. Well, and also those top leaders are, are supposed to be inspiring and motivating those people that are executing their ideas. And, and if, if they're a poor leader, then that's not going to happen. And also they, yeah. you know, poor direction, guidance, yeah. you know, yeah. all, 
Uh, I think, you know, you, everything you're saying is just outlining how it is such a, a, a long-term effort that it's going to take. And, and yeah. you, it's no, it's the time to start is now. The time Definitely. to start was 10 years ago, but, yeah, yeah. you know, let's take it now. <laughs> let's go for now. Exactly, exactly. So I um, love the servant leader. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you um, are familiar with Darren Hardy, but no, no. I, I watch uh, and listen to Darren Hardy every day. And um, I did a thing he had last year, and then I'm in it this year again, called Hero's Journey. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the fact that, and is aligned exactly with what you're saying and, and how leaders have to just do things differently and throw out mm -hmm. the, the way they used to do stuff. But he talks about servant leadership and, and I just really believe that's, that it's uh, an important part as, as any leader to um, understand the value of servant leadership. So talk about three ways that you can uh, go from servant leadership to becoming that now productive inclusive you know fair-minded if you will jedi leader i think i look i look at servant leadership as the detox between antiquated leadership and jedi leadership so if you're somebody who got some toxic you know um uh leadership practices because of who you know you came up under or whatnot you need a detox um, and serving leadership is a detox because basically it, it resets your minds, mindset around what your job actually is as a leader. So the toxic way of leadership is me, me, me. I am the genius who's progressing my way, climbing the corporate ladder. And there are no corporate ladders anymore. There are corporate spider webs. Like there's no one way up mm -hmm. anymore. And up is not the direction you want to go. You want to go wide because if you go up, if you go up, then you're then you're not going to be capable to actually lead in today's much more volatile, ambiguous, complex uh, environment. You need to go around and and kind of go around this way to get to where you want to get to, and deepen your experience and widen it as you go up. So, so that's the first fallacy. So, second thing is you need to remove your ego from leadership. <laughs> And, and so, true. so that's a big part of the detox is taking the me out of it. Um, there's a thing called the trust equation. I don't know if you've heard of this, they mm -hmm. keep it like trust equation is very simply, you know, on the numerator, credibility plus reliability plus degree of professional relationships divided by self-orientation. Mm -hmm. So, so if trust is the currency of leadership, right? That's what allows you to get convince people to follow you. Right. And then you need to really be focusing on the top end of the, of, the, of the numerator, your credibility, your reliability, and your professional relationships. And you have to minimize your self-orientation. It has to be about the other. Yeah. So once you go through that process of it being about the other, now you're in the servant leadership uh, mind space. And now you're, you're open to the opportunities of Jedi leadership, which is once you start leaning in and trying to serve and support the people who work for you, you're going to start hearing about inequities and injustices. You're going to start mm -hmm. hearing about, you know, how nobody wants to hear my ideas and how they want me to be here for five years and not get promoted. You're going to start hearing about how I, I don't feel safe to speak up and why I don't feel safe to speak up. And then once you as a line manager begin to identify and extract these things, these, these toxic elements of the culture of your business from your employees, now your job is to act on those and actively begin to move them away from your people so they can be as happy, productive, and have the right well-being to do, the, do their jobs. And so the moment you begin taking action against injustices, inequities, uh, conformities, and exclusion within just your group of people, it could be 10 people, 
You yeah. don't have to be an entire division. The moment you begin taking action to improve the state of state of the culture for them, that's the moment you begin to move into Jedi leadership. And it only goes gets bigger and bigger the the bigger your title is in an organization. Now your ability to influence the culture mm-hmm. to a more positive state is what is what you're being paid the big bucks to do. Because moving culture is hard. That's mm-hmm. why you're getting paid that salary, not because of how smart and brilliant and you know pretty you are. It's about what you can do for the people who are doing the real work. So important. The the whole idea that um, you have to to really, as you work for those under you, as you help those under you, and not not do it for you, but do it truly for them, they they will know that they you know just like you know we say uh, the social media is we want to know like and trust. Well, in your management organization, they need to know like and trust, and the only way that they can do that is for you to build a relationship with them. So yeah, I am, built on service, yeah, yeah. Uh, just I am so in tune with what you're saying. It's perfect. How can business leaders um, become Jedi leaders and become a positive force for the good? So what I say is really just it starts with that elimination of ego. And I think you begin to eliminate ego when you take care of you, when you begin to fill up your own cup and you, your cup is filled with very tangible things, not not superficial things. So basically, you know, the ego is all about can 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 feed off of fast food or the ego can feed off of of soul food. Right. <laughs> and so when you're, when you're feeding the ego, soul food is when you're taking care of your your, you know, your, 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 yourself, you're getting enough sleep, you're, you're, you're meditating, you're practicing gratitude, journaling, your interest, you have interests outside of work. So you're, you're, uh, you actually have a life, you know, <laughs> you have a broader sense of purpose than just making money. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a team of people who support you and you're taking care of yourself financially. So you don't need these ego pools. Uh, basically that the dark side of ego doesn't attract you. You can stay, in your in your in your best self zone, and so that's when you begin to make that shift, right? And so mm-hmm. the more the more ego, but you do have to do something for yourself. You have to replace ego with something else. So you have to replace the toxicity of ego with positive things mm-hmm. that we're mentioning now. And so once once you feel full in this area, you're going to show up differently for people. And that difference is when you begin to make the matriculation from you know whatever style of leadership you had right. to being potentially a Jedi leader. And Jedi leadership is aspirational. It's fully aspirational. It's not easy to achieve. The bar is higher than ever before. And it needs to be because the job is harder than ever before. So how can we achieve, you know, leap over a higher bar with the muscles of yesterday? And I I would think that it is, the mindset has to be though, that I am not gonna leap from where I am today to Jedi, it's those little things, the yeah. small, simple things, changes that we have to make along the way. And before exactly. we know it, we're at that. Yeah, you're there, which, which is why I was, I, I, I've been so kind of frustrated with how companies have been approaching, you know, the DEI journey within their organizations because they start, they, they leapt to training. Mm-hmm. You went straight to training and, and there's, there's so many steps before we get to training. You know, um, training only works when you're talking about something new. 
you know, something that is a new policy or process or procedure that, that we need to, that's going to be part of our day to day. Um, there's a lot of baby steps before we need to get to, before we're starting to implement something as complicated as unconscious bias or anti-racism or any of these heavy concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of pre-work that before we get to these stages. And I think that, you know, companies took the playbook of sexual harassment and they just kind of like, you know, washed and rinsed and, re- and, and rolled out the same thing for, for, you know, for social justice and all this type of stuff. And mm-hmm. they, they really missed the, they really missed the boat. And that's why people are, are not feeling that progress is being made um, because the intention behind it is not, was never to really make progress. The intention was check the box. Yeah, that's true. And, and yet you also have to recognize the change that you need. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have to look in the mirror and, and yeah. see, you know, what do I have to do? It, and yeah. it's not, I think a lot of times managers, senior managers are like, this is what you all have to do. You know, I'm telling you what you all have to do. And they're not <laughs> recognizing that, hey, guy, yeah. you know, or girl, it's yeah. it starts with you. But what I say is, you know, it's very, it's really difficult. So I, I, I call those things the three Bs. You know your beliefs which lead to your biases and your biases that manifest in your behaviors right so you have the three b's those things are really hard to change especially in someone who's you know 40 50 plus that individual ain't changing but when you change the incentives now i have a reason to change my beliefs biases and behaviors you know yeah. so which is why i say you don't training is too is is not the answer it's you start with incentives mm-hmm. so with the right incentives in place for change then we can change but if we're changing if we're all changing and no one knows why we're changing and where <laughs> we're going and what we're going to look like at the end of this change you know if it's a blind leading the blind then what are we doing like it's and it feels like that right now that it's a blind leading the blind we don't nobody knows where what the desired state is what it should look like what what happens when we get there and, and so we're all kind of like just fumbling along together like zombies in The Walking Dead. And, and no one knows, you know, kind of where this thing is going to end. It, it just makes me wonder. Um, my husband was a teacher for over 40 years. And the schools are always doing that, like the flavor of the month kind of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're constantly yeah, yeah. trying to figure out what the heck to go. It would be so great. I work for, with the youth all the time, and it would just yeah. be so great if we could teach these principles in the that age group that I work with so much to to have them molded to to understand to expect that this is the way things should be, and um, have that mass of yeah. uh, of people to impact change. I'm I'm, le- I'm less worried about the youth. I mean, you know, because of the because of the, ex- the world is smaller than ever before, and the exposure through technology to all this other stuff. I mean, I'm concerned about you know people with 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 not having a fully developed you know frontal cortex and not having not being able to discern you know fake news from real news from truth and what is truth anymore. And that's yeah. the big ex- the, the big axis of the question is can people you know common sense was never common, and now to be able to understand truth versus conspiracy theory versus what's sexy versus what's actually plain and just, you know, what's real. Yeah. You know, the, the, the fact that we have, you know, actual flat earthers in 2022 is mind boggling. Yes, <laughs> it's, yes, yes. it's mind boggling. <laughs> uh, so I worry about, I worry about that piece of it, but I don't, I, but I think that, you know, at the same time, technology and the access to just so many different, 
types of people and experiences is easier than ever before. You can travel the world without ever having to leave your couch now in terms of, you know, if you're open to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that's having a, 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 I do think like Generation Alpha, like my nephew is 15, they have a very different perception of all the stuff that we're so focused on. They're like, you know, that's, that's, that stuff doesn't even matter to us. Like we don't care about any of this stuff. But they do end up at some point in time into those organizations that we need to change. And, exactly. And they exactly. have to fit in. So, you know. Yeah. All right. So I am at the stage now where I leave the main important questions and I get on to some fun rapid fire questions. Just right. five, five questions. It. And uh, it's just, you know, with top of mind kind of thing, a minute or so to answer. But and these are just today. I'm going to just go with favorite. So, all right. What is your favorite animal? And it could be wild or domestic. My, fav- my favorite animal is the black panther. I, I love black panthers. Oh, so sleek and. Which, which is not really an animal, by the way. It's just a leopard that has that has that has mel has a melanin condition. But it's you know I love black panthers. Yep, beautiful. Now I I was not always a great board game lover, or uh, but I. You know, there are some people that are really strong. Is there a favorite board game that you have ever played? Or is there uh, one that you hate? <laughs> I would say my favorites are Chess and Monopoly. Ah, so, yes. Monopoly, yeah. what's your character? Uh, I like the horse. The horse? I like the horse. I like the horse. I, like the horse. Yeah. I was always a thumbball. It's kind of boring, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I am in Georgia and we have seasons, but they're all nice and short. I originally am from Pittsburgh where we had love. That's where, that's where I'm from. No way. I was born in Pittsburgh, yeah. Where yeah. where we're in Pittsburgh? I was born in uh Belsuver. Belsuver. I am from Trafford near Monroeville. <laughs> okay, I know where uh, that my, is. My when I got married, um, my husband lived in North Hills, but my uh, when I got married, I lived in South Park. Yeah, I was born in the Commons, which is right right near downtown. So I got yeah, yeah. Like, I lived in the Commons and and until uh, I was five years old. But I come out to Pittsburgh quite frequently. Yeah, I just uh, got invited to go to a Steeler game. So nice. <laughs> I know. So my question is, what is your favorite season? Favorite season would have to be summer. I love the beach. Yes. I love the Me beach. Too. I love to I be know. you know on you know near the sea. You know, just hanging out. You know, and that's 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 where I would, yeah. I would I'd always rather be. I mean, it just like totally gives me that. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. Sit by the ocean. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So there's a lot of different genres out there, but what is your favorite favorite musical group right now? Favorite musical group. Yeah. Group. You guys- I guess you like, could go back. I guess you like could go alternative, back. Alternative, like I like Coldplay a lot. I think mm. that they're they're awesome. Um, you know, I like, uh, but I like I like I like groups from from lots of different genres. But I'll, let's let's stick with Coldplay. Coldplay for now. Awesome. And you have a extensive travel. <laughs> I would like to know out of every place you've been, what is the favorite destination that you have ever been at wow so i've been to 45 countries <laughs> in like seven, seven, 70 something cities so this is really hard 
um, for me. I, I think it depends on what what's going on, but I, I I will give a shout out to my 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 Brazilian people and say Brazil Brazil's my is my spot. Uh, so so where I feel the most comfortable um, outside of the U.S. is you know going out of Brazil, Sao Paulo or Rio. Mm. I, I, I'm 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 like being it's like being at home for me. I speak the language fluently, so it's like home away from home. Awesome. Yeah, Brazil, beautiful place. Okay, so it is now time for us to um, just take a moment to be able to share your contact information. And let me just share my screen real quick. So I'm going to let you uh, do two things. I didn't capture your email address. If you want them just to go to your website, we don't have to cover that. But I'd like for you to talk about your free gift and um, and then I will read out um, your website. We will be, for those of you that are listening to just the audio portion, uh, we will have this information in the outro. So go ahead, tell us about this free gift. Yeah, so my free gift is my book, Leaderboard, the DNA of High Performance Teams. Uh, this is a book that uh, will really, you know, right now, everything we do today is, is through collaboration and through teams. And so I wrote this book because you know we heard, we've all heard of like Bruce Tuckman's four st- eight stages of group formation, group development, so forming, storming, norming, and performing. But mm-hmm. no one tells you that you can actually hack that process, and you can actually there's things you can do as a manager that can get you from forming to performing much faster. And so that's what the book exists. That's why the book is written, and it's it's done in a very interesting way because the first half of the book is a narrative, like a story. Uh, like a fictional story and the back half of the book is all the resources. And I've been told that, you know, um, this one book is probably worth like 30 books and the resource section at the end of the book has almost a hundred thousand dollars worth of value, uh, free value for you there just by uh, reading the book and using the QR code and becoming a member of my website, you can access all that. So I'm giving that all away to you for free. Awesome. I'm going to have to read that book because, you know, I, I am a project manager um, mm. by profession pr- after retire or before retiring. And actually, I t- am doing that as a contract job right now, too. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> It'll be it's very it's very helpful. It's a very, very, it's a very, very good. Very straightforward book. All right. So his website is HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash www dot Omar, a O M A R L, like Larry, H A R R I S. That's www.omarlharris.com. So please check out his website. He's got, uh, he's out on social media. Just using that Omar L. Harris, you'll be able to find him. But again, we will put that information out there for you guys. And uh, big on Twitter, too. So Twitter is uh, Strengths Leader. Is there something to that name that you chose that? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, once again, leaning back into my my roots as a positive psychology, I'm a Gallup certified strengths coach as well, which means that we, you know, I help organizations um, use, you know, kind of flip the paradigm away from weakness-based employee development to strengths-based employee development. And, and so my roots go back to that. And everything that I've done stems from my belief that we get more done, we can be more productive and engaged when we lean into our strengths versus trying to minimize or mitigate our weaknesses. Awesome. Let me just stop sharing. Uh, hopefully you all have got a 
that are watching the video have captured that screenshot. So it has been a true pleasure having this discussion with you today. I uh, believe that anyone that has businesses out there should get in touch with you to see how you can help them because you've got a lot of great ideas and um, makes very much sense. Um, so we want to thank Omar Harris for being our guest today and sharing great tips, great stories, tools. Uh, this book is going to be awesome for you all to grab. Um, we look forward to uh, maybe future discussions with you. And um, please do reach out to him, visit his website, and be able to see what all he has to offer that maybe can help you. Uh, don't forget to take advantage of that free gift. And I also uh, want to remind everybody, um, as I do at the end of all of my presentations, is don't forget I have a book out there. It is called Unstoppable, Being Fierce, Fearless, and Unfuckwithable in Life and Business. And uh, that is on Amazon. So definitely check that out. It's I'm an author for page or chapter number five. Rochelle Lawson is the author of that. So until next time, please remember life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nethling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nethling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.